0: Blog Talk Radio. Quarters, security condition three. GQ
1: security three, sir. General quarters
0: three, intruder alert. GQ three, intruder alert. Oh, I don't know. An intruder might have helped me tonight. Good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon. I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry. And uh, I want to say thanks to everyone who has been subscribing and listening, and especially people that have been leaving uh, reviews uh, for Madam Perry Salon on uh, Apple iTunes, And Stitcher, I really do appreciate you so much, and people have been sharing. Um, Also, you know, we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, Matt Coyle was on The Suspense author, Matt Coyle, talking about his newest book. And he sent uh, the two winners, just so you know, were Brett Wright and uh, Peter G. were the winners of the book, uh, of Matt's newest book. But... um, Tonight, I'm going to go straight to my guest because I'm a few minutes late starting, and i got to explain why. This guy is uh, <laughs> a very prolific author, short story writer. His short story, El Cambalache, was nominated for Best Short Story in the International Thriller Writers Annual Thriller Awards. His short stories have been featured in Thug Lips, Spine Tingler Magazine, Shotgun Honey, Big Pulp, and many more publications He's got uh, two award-winning novels set in 1930 New York City, Prohibition, and Slow Burn. His newest novel, and and he has many more He's, uh, uh, books than that, but we're about to get there. Uh, but his newest novel is The Fairfax Incident. So I want to welcome to Madame Perry's salon for the first time. So, good evening, and welcome to Madame Perry Salon, and I want to welcome to Madame Perry Salon for the very first time, Terrence McCauley. Hi, Terrence. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Did you hear anything I just said, or was it all silent? I think it was, I think I was muted.
1: I heard everything. I heard everything that you said, and then I heard uh, somebody said muted, and then uh, I heard you again after that, so...
0: (laughs) Okay, that means you heard me no one else heard me, and I have to say, first of all, I apologize for keeping you on hold so long. Um, We've had a lot of thunderstorms here. I'm in the Atlanta area,
1: and uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I had a little short, so I am so sorry. I would never leave anyone, especially a a nice, handsome, talented man like you, just sitting in the waiting room in the green room uh, that long, so... So sorry and thank you so much for being here. Uh, very excited to have you here, Terrence.
1: You, you very I was much. saying
0: Oh, you're cool, quite welcome. And uh talking about your um your newest I mean we can talk anywhere you want, but I'm gonna start off with your newest uh book, the Fairfax Incident, because sure. I'm reading it now and I love it. I loved I knew I was gonna like it. But I'm loving it so far. You, uh, Fairfax Incident is set in, um, well, I'll let you tell people.
1: Sure, no problem at all. It is. Uh, first of all, I'm very glad that you like it. Uh, it is set in 1933 Manhattan, and it uh, takes place just as Prohibition era is ending. Uh, the Roaring Twenties are a distant memory, and the Great Depression is really starting to settle in all over the country. And uh, it is about a uh, private detective whose name is Charlie Dougherty. He is not your stereotypical private detective. He does not have a trench coat and um he does not stand on the rain smoking cigarettes or hang out in alleys uh he's not on uh his last buck and he doesn't have a bottle of booze at the bottom of his uh in, in his lower drawer of his desk he's a disgraced uh, NYPD detective who was kicked off the force because he was uh dirty and the reformers came in in 1930 two, and uh, he was one of the casualties. Now he's working as a private detective for a very wealthy uh, patron who asks him to look into a suicide that may not be a suicide, it may be murder. And that's how the book starts off.
0: Mm. So um yeah, so the character already is different and I was said when I heard nineteen thirty three on the description when I bought Fairfax Infant, um, I listened to a lot of uh, radio classics on Oh okay. Sirius XM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when people have those little things on Facebook, when they said, "What, what kind of? If you had a warning, what would it be?" I could say, I, "You know, I might break into uh, film noir speak at any moment, you know, or something." <laughs> but uh, so, but, um, but, Doherty, Charlie Doherty, he's not a. Yeah, you said he's a little different. He was a disgraced uh, cop. He's not exactly. I don't know. Would you say he's like like Boston Blackie? Although we just. <sighs>
1: Yeah, I would more I would try to describe him more as uh along the lines of he's not the kind of guy who's going to steal your wallet, but he's going to try awfully hard to talk you into giving it to him. <laughs> and um you know, he is uh he's a product of his time. He's not a hero, he's not an anti-hero. He's himself. He doesn't have the same kind of code that you read about Chandler's detectives having, or uh, the code that Hammett's characters have had. He has his own code, and he's unlike a lot of people that you read about who are detectives in noir literature or watch in noir films. He's doing pretty well for himself. He's actually doing better than he has in his life, even as a crooked cop. Uh, He has uh, cushy assignments from his wealthy benefactor from uh, Slow Burn. His name is Mr. Van Dorn. And life's pretty good for Charlie while the rest of the world is going to hell. And I wanted a kind of story because I didn't want it to be one of those books where you know what's going to happen before you even open the first page.
0: You know, I was listening to an interview of yours where, uh, you know, people were messaging in questions to you and um, a woman's about character writing or, or writing right. characters that don't end up stereo to be a stereotypical type character that you see where you can open a book and go, I oh, mean, I read this book before, maybe with a different author, but it's the same book. But uh-huh. I noticed that you seem to, uh, you seem to, you referenced uh Don Winslow is somebody whose characters, uh, character formations you admire.
1: Right. Yeah, I definitely admire the way he is able to tell a story, first of all, but also to be able to come up with characters who are not necessarily the most admirable characters, but they're certainly compelling, and you want to read more about them. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I prefer stories usually that have the uh, character or the protagonist have a gray hat, not a white hat, not a black hat, uh, rather something more realistic. And most of us live in the gray. We don't live in the black or the white, even though we like to think we do. So that's why uh, the characters that I write in all of my fiction, whether it's set in 1933 New York or it's a spy thriller set in modern day, I try to make them to be believable and relatable to the reader.
0: So and yeah and and you do and it's true and you know the thing is, is you've seen the gray hat not the black not the white because um, you know we're starting to see more films modern films where the maybe the protagonist the lead person is a flawed person because this is what. We are. I mean, we can't all have a black or a white hat. You know, there's some things, you know, I may try to do my best for people, but I know that there are things that I wish I hadn't said or done somewhere. And yeah, that makes it uh, that brings the reality into it.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And also, I've done a lot of reading, not just of Chandler and Hammett, but also of other private detectives or people or and characters in various uh, film noir movies, and also read about them in uh, noir novels. And I always, I'm always trying to look to do something a little bit different. So that's why I don't make him have the secretary or the dingy office downtown or um, have a drinking problem, he, he, he imbibes, but he, he certainly doesn't have a problem at this point. Because I just wanted to break the mold, because uh, when, you're, when I do set a, a story in the 1930s, I want to make sure people understand that, yes, I have to have some familiar uh, aspects of the story, so you know it's a 1930s story or what we today expect a 30s story to be, but I don't want it to be that predictable where you don't feel like you need to finish the book.
0: Well, tell me about um, your approach to research when you when you go to research for your, not only for your characters, uh, the stories, because when well, you're going into to a piece like that that takes place in, a, uh, I guess, the shallow end of the last century, mm-hmm. there are, of course, a lot of things that are very different. He's not going to get a call on the cell phone and um, – <laughs> You know, you can't just pop out any time of the day or night for something to eat or drink. And so it's so many things, and those are just a couple, you know, obvious things, but a lot of things are different in the scenery and the way what people do. They're just everyday habits.
1: Right. Well, for me, uh, what I've always been a big fan of history, and I did a lot of research for my first book that's told in this general universe called Prohibition. I uh, love history and I love politics, and writing about 1930 New York City allowed me to do uh, the best of all worlds and enjoy telling about historical characters and also about a colorful story that uh, people seemed to like at the time when I published it. Then in Slow Burn, which is the sequel to Prohibition and the uh, prequel, if you will, to uh, the Fairfax incident. That's where you first meet Charlie Doherty as a, as a protagonist. He's a minor character in Prohibition, but he's the protagonist in Slow Burn. And in my research for the 1930 book, I realized that uh, there was another book to be told where I focus on the reform movement. FDR is governor. He's pushing to uh, clean out the Tammany Hall, um, lackeys, if you will, from mm-hmm. New York City and also New York State politics. And Charlie Doherty is caught up in that, and he's cast aside. And um, he happens to find himself involved in a murder-kidnapping case involving the wealthiest family in New York City. Then when uh, I was continuing to do my research into that era, I always knew that in '33, the Nazi Party came to have an influence in our uh, society through the german-american bund and they opened up a couple of camps in the new york city area one on long island one in new jersey and so that started a little bit later than 33 but for pro- poetic license i put it at 33 for this book and i uh you know i that's the kind of story I wanted to tell. I, I did some research into it. It's definitely stuff that happened, but the characters themselves didn't really exist, because I am writing a novel. I'm not writing a history book. But I tried to put it in an entertaining context that's also fair to history. Wow.
0: So, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to make it a – you do have that opportunity or the – the um You've got a green light for poetic license, uh, as uh, for lack of a better term, but but yeah, but you still have all the um, actual history, and and I'm kind of a history buff on that period as well. So, uh, yeah, you have a lot of rich stuff to draw from, but good that you don't have to stick exactly to it because you are, you know, being a fiction author. Um, right. What do? How do you? Um, what about the other characters, like the lady that hires?
1: Uh, oh, Mrs. Fairfax. Mr.
0: Mrs. Fairfax. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's funny you're the first person to ask about her. That's uh, how do you like her so far?
0: Well, you know the thing is, you come you, you, the story opens up right there. you know what you're talking to her, and it's uh, and she she knows what she wants. She's going to tell. Her she's for the beginning. She seems very cut and dry. Look, this is what it is
1: hmm so Yeah, that's how I, I wrote her, yeah. Yeah, I and, definitely didn't uh, want to have, um, you know, it's funny you, that you're the first person to ask about her. It's, um, in my books, I, whenever I write characters, I always try to eschew any kind of stereotype. And especially since I'm writing about the 1930s, I don't want the female characters to be these swanning um characters who had nothing to the book or were just window dressing or were just uh, sex objects for the protagonist. So the, the women in all of my fiction, uh, whenever it's set, they're usually strong women who affect the plot in a certain way. I just don't want to drop somebody in there for the sake of uh, checking off a box for the editor. I want to make sure that they contribute something. And Mrs. Fairfax was a a delight to write because she, as you said, is very strong. She's wealthy, but you can tell that there's more to her than just a bank account. Uh, She's very Mm -hmm. driven. She has put a lot of thought into why she's hiring Charlie and in to look into her husband's suicide and she also has no illusions whatsoever about what her husband was uh she says that she doesn't think he was capable of killing himself not because he was brave but because he not because he was a coward but because he didn't have that kind of decency so that sets up your your view of what she is and how and where she fits in the overall story. And she ultimately winds up changing the entire course of the story later on as the novel unfolds.
0: <laughs> and that's true. You're right. She pulls no punches. She, she tells it like it is. She doesn't make excuses. She doesn't cover anything up. I mean, she's given it to him straight up. Yep. Um, and so... Yeah, I like that. And of course, that's the, you know, usually the, with the, I think in that era, and probably several, um, a woman like her who would be a wealthy person, um, whose husband has um, done what he does. I don't want to give away too much to people. But they either the kind of, they like the ringing hanky, and I've never wrote a, wrote a check in my life. I don't know what to do. Or they're yeah. very, uh, Straight ahead. Look, this is what it is, and this is what I want you to do, and and that's her. She's not very very strong, very driven, very uh, upfront, um, as we would say now. But um, yeah, so that's why I want to know is there were there certain characters um, in history or in real life uh, or in fiction, whatever that that you used that you modeled her on.
1: Uh, i modeled her a little bit on my grandmother who was not wealthy but she did grow up in that era uh she was born in 1902 and she uh lived through an awful lot and whenever and she, when i was a little kid she always told me a lot about uh, growing up uh and raising a family through the great depression and uh world war 2 and um uh, you know having two sons who were my my dad was in uh, the end of World War II, he, the peace had been declared, but he was part of the Berlin airlift. And then I had an uncle who was in Korea, so uh, she she brought up four kids throughout all of that. So I, I think that she had the most effect on my inspiration for who Mrs. Fairfax was and how she approaches the world. I, uh, I you know I didn't want to have somebody that you would expect to have in this kind of a, a, a story where she's clutching her pearls and. She's either completely ruthless, or she is indifferent, or she's incapable. I mean, Mrs. Fairfax does care about something. She cares about her family, and she cares about the legacy, and that's why she wants to find out why her husband was killed. Not because she has any ideals about how great her husband was, but because she cares about breeding and family. So that was uh, that was a fun character to write.
0: Because we're uh, a very visual society uh if you were to cast the film and this sounds like a definite uh book that would go into film from your lips to god's
1: ear (laughs) so uh
0: um if you were if you were to have choice of casting who would you put in the parts
1: oh god that's a that's a great question i get that a lot for this one, it's funny. People will say that I'm I'm ripping off another series, but it's not true. I would love to. I wrote Charlie Dougherty, uh God, ten years ago for the first time, with Titus Welliver in mind. Uh, he's now on the Bosch series on uh, mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, but mm-hmm. I've loved his work since he was in a uh, cop show that was on CBS for a little bit that starred Terry Hatcher's husband. Uh, Then I loved his work when he was on Deadwood. I just thought he had that great look that I would love for Charlie to have. And now he's pretty much doing that character on Bosch, and he's doing it to some great acclaim. Uh, For the Carmichael character, who is the uh, crooked, brutal uh, police chief in the book, I would love to see Michael Shannon in that role. He'd be, mm-hmm. I think, fantastic. And then for Mr. Van Dorn, I think um, for me, I'd love to see Aaron um, uh, Aaron Eckhart do that role. I think he'd be fantastic in that.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, he'd and, probably and, be very good. <clears throat> yeah.
0: And Mrs. Fairfax?
1: Mrs. Fairfax would, could probably be done by one of my favorite actresses, Glenn Close.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think she'd be fantastic in that role. I really do. I uh, I really envision her as as uh, being the ideal Mrs. Fairfax, but she's great in anything. So
0: this uh, <laughs> when uh um so so you do get that question a lot. I'm glad you you went ahead and indulged me in it because those are such good choices. And it's yeah, it's how the exactly how the character character seems to shape up uh, to the reader. Um, So now you've got several books that tie together So for people who um, You're so wildly popular I'm sure a lot of people listening already have Several of your books But um, for people who are just getting to know you Which books tie together and how?
1: All of the books tie together Everything I've ever written ultimately ties together In one form or the other It's all told in the same uh, universe it's not necessarily uh, that you have to start with the very first thing I've ever written and go all the way through, but wherever you start in any of the books that I've read, you're going to find that there is some kind of commonality there. Um, for example, I have the western that's coming out in September. The only link between that western and this uh, series here is that Mr. Van Doren's father plays a minor role in it. So for me, it's fun and it helps to make sure that everything is connected so that when people do pick up one of my books, they can say, oh, yeah, I remember reading about that person in a short story, or oh, yeah, he appeared in another uh, novel that I I read before. Uh, So anyway, my 1930s stuff right now is uh, building up and in the end of this book sets up what I call the University Series, which is a book of uh, a series of books they're set in modern day uh the modern day it's spy thriller techno thriller about a gentleman by the name of james hicks who works for a, a group called the university and as the series goes on we learn more about hicks and the university their mission is to protect the west from threats foreign and domestic, uh, to our way of life here in the in the West. So the first book in that series is Sympathy for the Devil. That was released about three years ago to some decent acclaim and, re- and reviews. I'm very proud of that. The second book in that particular series is called A Murder of Crows. And it goes from being set in New York like sympathy for the devil was and it expands the character and expands the uh, the story to include other places like london and toronto the latest book in that particular series is called a conspiracy of ravens and that one shakes everything up in the university series and uh, you see james hicks facing new challenges that he's never faced before and it takes him to uh, as you can see on the cover to uh the Berlin uh, area, where the uh, most of the action takes place, but I try to give those stories more of an international flair than my 1930s stories to this point.
0: When uh, I was going to read a little bit, by the way, I want—I should say now—if you want to call in and talk to. Terrence McCauley, who's right here on Madame Perry Salon. And by the way, Terrence, how do you like the Genie bottle in here since this is your first time? Do you, is it comfortable <laughs> or have you got a nice cushion to sit it on? It certainly
1: is. Yeah, I'm doing fine.
0: <laughs> Great. All right. Good, good, good. All right. If you want to talk to Terrence McCauley, you can just give us a call here. Uh, the number is 646 716 9922. 646 716 9922. Blog Talk Radio assures me it's a toll free call in the continental US and that some people on Facebook will just message me questions if you can't get to a phone, if you're on a day gig or something you gotta sneak in your question, we take care <laughs> of that discreetly. And uh and I do have a caller here for you, so I want to welcome uh welcome you to the G welcome to Madame Perry's salon. Hello? Hello? My, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, now I can hear you. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Come on in. Call. Hi, Terence. This is Maggie Lynn.
1: Hey, Maggie. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Great. It's great to finally be able to talk to you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on your new book.
1: Thank you very much, and congratulations to you on all the success you've had with your work.
0: Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> But yeah, I thank you for to... calling, Maggie. Glad you're here. Get a, get a cushion. You're inside the genie bottle now, so uh, get a cushion, sit down, and um, and have a chat with Terrence.
1: Yeah, and the people should know Maggie's a good, great writer in her own right. She's got uh, two books out, and I think she's working on the third, if I'm not mistaken, from what I see online. Yes, and a couple of others. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about your problems, aren't we? <laughs> I know, yeah. But it always helps to let people know who's talking and what they've got going on.
0: And that's True. a real pal. And, and Maggie, it's all about love here at Madame Perry Salon. You know, we got to share the love. So
1: <laughs> that's great.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Truthfully, I just wanted to pop in. I'm not supposed to. Be, I'm supposed to be doing else right now. But I want to show my support for you, Karen. Thank okay, you so very much. You
1: Okay, I have to
0: get off now but I really enjoyed it I love listening to you guys. Thank you.
1: Thank well, you very thank much. You. And Maggie,
0: come back and yes. come back in here and talk about your books one night. Okay. Um are
1: you on Instagram? I don't know exactly where to find you. I'm Madam you-
0: I'm Madam Perry on Instagram and Madam Perry Salon on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Okay, thank you
0: so very much for your for your invitation. Okay. Oh, it'd be delightful. Any friend of Terrence's all right. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Good you night. You too much to set both of you. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Thanks. That was delightful.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise. I've, I've known her for a long time on uh, on on Facebook and on uh, Instagram, but uh, it's funny. This is the first time I've ever had uh, an interaction with her, even on the phone. So that's interesting.
0: <laughs> See, there, there. You know, for uh, there are so many good things about this modern age and and the cyber world. I mean, there are some negative things, but there are so many good things like this. Uh, very Exactly cool. right.
1: Yeah, no, that was fantastic. So, that was a nice surprise.
0: Yeah, it was. Thanks, Maggie. If you're still listening, um, so. Let's see. So, where was I? Oh, I know. I was going to read um, a little bit of uh, a review by, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Rowena Hoseason on uh, Goodreads. And I'm going to pick out just a few little bits of her review of the Fairfax incident. The Golden Age gumshoe story kicks off as a private investigation into the apparent suicide of a wealthy businessman. But soon it's obvious that there's a lot more going on than a bit of slap and tickle on the side. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, I like the way Rowena goes in. She says, uh, Charlie barely has a chance to start asking questions about the dead man's mistress, before he's the target of an Al Capone-style drive-by shooting. And the next thing you know, he's getting his chops slapped by beautiful women and broken-nosed coppers alike. And then suddenly, people start talking German, and the plot seriously thickens. (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she definitely put a lot of thought into that one, and I really enjoyed that review.
0: I was going to ask, I would say too, because even, and then down, you know, the dialogue slick, the pace clips along without getting bogged down in unnecessary background. And uh, uh, a mystery satisfactorily solved, and then she has the ellipsis and says, Although Arthur McCauley leaves a big can of worms wriggling for the next episode. I like her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And that was done on purpose, too, because, like I said, this book starts off the entire. Uh, university series that i hopefully will have the opportunity to pl- to fill in between the um the, when the university starts with the uh, sympathy for the devil in modern day and bridge the gap all the way back to the uh world war the pre-world war 2 era that i cover in uh, Fairfax incident
0: and then am am uh, um, am i allowed to say i mean i just have information from your publishers but Am I allowed to say, mention the uh, upcoming book in September? Sure. Okay. It's called Where the Bullets Fly, uh, Ren- Vengeance Reigns. I like, you know what, I've, another thing I like about you is that the the taglines to the titles, because uh, it's uh, uh, things like Where the Bullets Fly and then it's Vengeance Reigns, Uh Sympathy for the devil. Old war, new enemies, the devil has arrived. Everything's got a hip uh, hip little a conspiracy of ravens. ravens. The battle lines have been drawn, the war has begun. Everything's got a cool tagline that just really if you got your foot on the threshold, it just sucks you in the door.
1: Well That's what I tried to do, yeah, and that's uh, I've also had the the good fortune of having some very good uh, copy editors uh, for the western that one's coming out from uh, Kensington Pinnacles uh Kensington's Pinnacle group uh in September that one was uh was handled by them they they put together some great taglines for where the bullets fly and uh, for the university series uh, including the Fairfax incident and uh all the other books i mentioned that's published by polis books and uh jason pinter helped put together the the uh, copy on the back of those uh books and he did a great job with those as well
0: jason pinter is a great guy in polis books and i met jason a couple of years ago at book expo america and oh, okay. um yeah about 3 years ago in new york and just uh, su- such a nice guy very yeah, professional really very nice very very smart too
1: yeah, he's got an awful um, lot of sense about the industry, and he's got an awful lot of sense about what people want to read. And his insight into my stuff has been really great. It's it's helped me become a better writer. So I've been very fortunate to have uh, been published by Jason. He's a he's a class act.
0: Yeah, he is indeed. Ooh, that's a perfect description. Uh, so. When, uh, so we know how, you know, we know a little bit about your approach and about how the books tie together. When, and this is probably something that's probably a, a worn out question. When you were growing up, did you start reading at an early age? And did you and when did you know you wanted to write?
1: It's funny that's it, a lot of people don't ask that uh, of me because they they figure that every writer has been an avid reader since the beginning. Uh, I actually always did well in reading comprehension, but uh, until high school, I hated reading. I didn't like it. I I liked. Uh, I always fashioned myself as becoming um, an illustrator or a movie director. That's what I wanted to do. And I ultimately figured out at 14, my write, my illustrating talent had tapped out, and I wasn't getting any better. I could only copy something that I saw I couldn't really come up with anything new that was interesting. So I knew I still had this creative streak in me, and I always had a flair for writing. And I was a sophomore in high school, and my teacher... Told us we were going to be reading at least two stories that year. The first one was The Merchant of Venice by William Shakespeare, and the second one was The Shining by um, Stephen King. And mm-hmm. when, yeah, so when you're a 15 uh, year old kid, that's uh, quite a lot to be thrown at you, but the order mm-hmm. made sense. I mean, you saw in Merchant of Venice, you see. My, I was fortunate enough to have a good enough teacher to teach this uh, that how words can mean things how how certain sentences can convey more than what the words on the page tell you and then with the shining you get to see the perfect example of how mere words can terrify you in the right uh in the right context without being gory and that's always been Stephen King's claim to fame uh especially in his early works he could scare the hell out of you without. Getting too gory, and so it was a really good uh, start for me in my creative career. And then as I grew up uh, and went through college, I always maintained my love of writing and storytelling. And I knew I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in an office. And my father said, "You got a natural talent there. You might as well do your best to continue to develop it." And so I took some workshops, uh, classes, and. Uh, wound up uh, crafting a novel that became Prohibition and uh, then that that got published and the rest has been history.
0: Nice. So, so you had encouragement. then and, and, and as far as the teacher, I mean, to think about uh, Merchant of Venice and The Shining, I mean, you got two major storytellers who oh, yeah. really know how to use words. As right, and Just wait, reach in, and grab you.
1: Yeah, they do, and they also are able to have complex characters too. And it's funny; a lot of people think, "Oh, you? Why would anybody want to look at Shakespeare? For example, it's so highbrow." Well, it wasn't written for highbrow people. It wasn't written for the aristocracy. It was written for the common everyday person. So you were talking about people who went to see his plays. A lot of them couldn't even read. They were regular people who were chimney sweeps and and uh, maids and things like that. So if he was able to uh, reach them and have those words be passed down from generation to generation there's a reason why he's people remember him and it's because not just of the writing but because of the themes and the characters that he created that have been duplicated endlessly in fiction of various forms And there's a reason for that because it was good
0: Mm um and of course then again with stephen king i'm sure you've read his book on writing
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, that was probably one, in my my opinion, it's probably some of the best example of his writing that you're going to see. That and the Shawshank Redemption. The short story was uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And I think he's better when he's not going for the gore, when he's going to try to tell you a story. And I don't think he gets enough credit for being a a good writer. I know he's popular, I know he's rich, uh, and, and he's prolific, but the quality of his storytelling, especially in his early works like The Shining and Carrie and other books, fantastic stuff.
0: And then again, in the first part of the book, um, I will never, ever, and, and I'm glad for this, I will never lose the, the impact, the shock, and the laughter I get talking about him and his brother in the electrical same with right. the electricity in the building. That's one of those stories, no matter how many times I read it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, maybe that would I'm say, uh... easily
0: amused. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, no, our writing maybe... was fantastic.
0: Yeah, I just. Uh... But then again, there's also a corgi in the front of the book. He has a corgi. What's her name? Molly, I think. And, I think so. Yeah, and and if you've ever had corgis, you know, they they can they're pretty um they're pretty strange dogs, they're interesting. I've had several. And uh it's like they got their whole world when I had four. Do you have dogs or cats?
1: I have a cat. And her name is Marlo. She's a little uh, black cat that was a barn cat that friends of ours uh, gave us when she was uh, they were giving her up for adoption, and luckily we got her when she was a kitten and she none of her line had ever been domesticated before, so there was a little bit of uh, bumps in the road in the beginning but um uh, she's she's a fantastic loving animal,
0: yeah, often the way it is with with the rescued or adopted animal, but rough road at first, but always worth it and so, Marlowe nice name, I like that, yeah well. <laughs> With, at one time, not now, but at one time I had four Pembroke corgis, and I won't tell the story because this is all about you, but I'll say that there were times when I felt like I was the teacher. Remember the old movie? I think it was, what was it, Village of the Damned or Children oh, of the Damned? Yes, oh, yeah. With was, all the kids. Yeah, I felt like I was the, the school teacher.
1: Yeah. And they were the kids. Yeah, and they were just so, looking at you, yeah, trying to plot your demise, yeah.
0: Yeah, Father or we all say we'll be in the kitchen staring at me, Go to the treat jar. Go to the <laughs> treat jar. So
1: Yeah, it's amazing how they can gilge into that, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, Stephen King, wow. Um So then so so you really didn't you didn't never came up, it wasn't that big, and you sort of came to the uh the love of it and the uh, Desire to write much later, and it's great that you had, you know, uh, family support.
1: I did, yeah. Um, my father always wanted me to uh, to write, and my he was a great reader, and my mother was always very supportive of uh, anything that I wanted to do. I was never really much. I never wanted to be an actor or really be in front of the camera, but I always knew that I wanted to be a storyteller, and so I found my way of doing it through writing, and so far. I'm happy that I've had uh, an audience, and they seem to enjoy my work. And the best thing about it is they give me honest feedback, which is uh, which has really crafted all of the works that I've done uh, since my first book was published, all of prohibition, and all the way up through now. Uh, if they have followed my work, can see how it's changed a little bit, and it's changed in large part because of uh, audience feedback, which is very important to me. Oh yeah.
0: Um... I got a few minutes left with Terence McCauley, and I'm so happy to have you here, Madam Perry Solana. Thank you so much for fitting me into your schedule because this book is freshly launched, and you're a pretty busy guy. So I really
1: appreciate this. Um, oh, thank you for inviting me.
0: So when oh, you're quite welcome. Um, and, and you yeah, know, there'll always be a nice, fluffy cushion here for you to sit on if you ever come <laughs> back. Uh, uh, I was going to say too, your book. Uh, you you know, you won several awards deservedly so and i know you have got plenty more in your future but what i wanted to ask you was um you you have a novella it's a world war 1 novella the devil dogs of blue wood and it won the silver medal for historical fiction from the Military Writers' Society of America, which I wasn't familiar with the Military Writers' Society of America. But you said the proceeds from the sale, I understand, go directly to benefit the Semper Five Fund. So you want to tell us for people who don't know what – most people probably do know, but if they don't know what that is, what it is, and why.
1: Sure. Uh, I I wrote it. Right before, the, on the 99th anniversary of uh, World War, the start of America's entry into World War One, and I always wanted to tell a war novel. Um, I've always been a big fan of Len Levinson's um, war novels that he wrote um, in the 70s, I believe, in the 60s. Um, and so I wanted to be able to tell that story of the battle that gave the modern Marine Corps their uh, claim to fame and the glory that they deserve as one of the best fighting forces in the world. A Marine would tell you the absolute finest force that's ever been in the history of warfare. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I did was uh, I took, this is it's one of the, chronologically, it's the first Charlie Doherty story, because it's a uh, novel about Charlie Doherty's first-person experiences in the Battle of Belleau Wood in france so it starts off just like all of my other stories with a uh with a literal bang he's being shelled uh by the germans and he ultimately links up with some other uh american marines who have been separated from their unit they form a unit and then they launch a counter-offensive against the Nazi, against the german army which is what a lot of the uh army and marines did in that particular battle. Everybody else left, and the Americans stayed and dug in and fought, and it was a turning point in the war. I chose the Semper Fi Fund for the charity because a friend of mine who helped me write the book and make sure that it was uh, historically accurate told me that it was a great cause. A lot of people go for other bigger, well-known veterans groups, but the Semper Fi Fund is uh, largely volunteer-driven. They're, all of their money goes straight to the charity of, of assisting uh, men and women who uh, need it, you know, who are veterans. It's, it, they don't spend it on retreats or, or nice giveaways. The money goes straight to helping people who serve this country and sacrifice for this country uh, maintain and achieve a... Uh, a level of, of a quality of life that they deserve. So, uh, all of the money that comes from the, from the, uh, book goes straight to the, uh, publisher down and out books. And they go, they, they donate every penny straight to the Semper Five fund. I didn't get a, uh, an advance on the book. I don't take a cent from the book. Neither does down and out books. It all goes straight to that fantastic charity. So I always tell people, if you don't want to read a World War I novella, you don't have to. I would hope you would. But um, please donate to the Semper Five Fund because they do wonderful work.
0: And, and the veterans are a very underserved community
1: yes they are sure. I mean, we lose 22 a day to suicide and it's unfortunate that people only take awareness of mental health issues when they have the mental health month and also when a celebrity kills themselves i mean that's a tragedy mm-hmm. in and of itself but the, the, the real tragedy is is that we lose about 22 veterans at least every single day to suicide and that's 22 too many in my opinion
0: yeah definitely and um um Going to have an episode of the show on suicide uh, very soon, so I will mention that as well. And I'm glad to do this because uh, you know I'm an entertainment publicist, and I remember one client I had that um, that was a veteran, and his book was set in the um, uh, post Civil War area. And so when we were talking about putting together the book and so forth, we I said, you know, you could um, you could put a little thing at the end about. Uh, uh, If you enjoy this book, it's whatever. Consider donating uh, to Mm -hmm. Veterans Fund, but um, so it's already tied in, and you're thinking about it, and you know why not? You've got an opportunity, and you've got an audience, and if you can do it, but also, um, I'm sure in the book at the end you say, you know, you indicate that the where the sales go, uh, the proceeds.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, right on the cover, we have uh, all proceeds go to Semper Fi Fund. Uh, it's right there on the cover of the Devil Dogs of Bell Outwood, and also, too, on uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble in the description. That's the first thing you see. All proceeds go directly to the Semper Fi Fund. And that's not a portion. That's not a uh, you know a percentage. That's all of it. Every penny goes straight to them. And uh, it doesn't come to me first, and then, oh, well, maybe he gets around to cutting a check no, it goes straight to them, mm. and that's the way it should be. Oh,
0: that's that's great. That's, that's wonderful. I like I like to hear that, and uh, I will be sharing that information. So if you uh, if you're listening, I also will have. Of course, you can find uh, the website TerencePMcColly.com and find out more about Terence. He's also on Instagram and other social media, and um, but I'm also still going to be sharing information about you, your books, and I'll also go ahead and include uh, info and links to the Semper Fi Fund on Madam Perry's uh, social media, whether it's uh, Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, or even on Reddit. Although, do you use Reddit much?
1: I don't use Reddit all that much. I just don't know that much about it. I uh, I understand it's great. I just, uh you know, I I've got hard enough time trying to figure out Facebook and Twitter and and now Instagram. Um, I know it, I know Reddit is fine, and a lot of people swear by it. I just you know, it's, it's it's escaped my scope at this point.
0: Let's just say I'm not consistent on it because I'll get into it and I'll all of a sudden I'll, I'll think I'm doing fine, and then it cuts me off like I've done. And, and tells me I've done something bad, I've got to go sit in the corner, I can't use it for so many minutes or days. And so I have come to believe that Reddit is the, if you watch Big Bang Theory, it's the, it's the Dr. Sheldon Cooper of social media. Just,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's just my opinion. I'm an armchair sociologist, I know. But, uh, yeah, it's just sort of like I, every time I think I'm doing good, I get I get the, the yellow card. I'm just smacked down. Well, uh, Terrence, Holly, best of luck with your new book, Fairfax Incident, all your books, and uh, you have an open invitation to come back to Madam Perry's salon anytime.
1: Thank and you I very you much. I, I, no, I did. This was fantastic. It's always great to meet a new host on the uh, Authors on the Air Network, and uh, if anybody... And whether people have bought my books, and if they like them or don't like them, please leave a review on Amazon. They make a tremendous amount of difference. Uh, Mm -hmm. They they help with sales. And they also, like I said earlier, help me, even the negative reviews. As long as they're qualified and people say, I didn't like it for this reason, it helps me Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that the future books are a little bit better. So reviews are always appreciated and uh, the best way to help your favorite authors move along.
0: All right, fantastic. Thank you again, and uh, and thanks to everyone out there again for supporting and listening and downloading and sure, sharing. Madam Perry, hold on. I love you, and here I'm going to sing to you. Everybody's got to sing. Thanks, Perry. Well, we Goodbye. Swinging everything you did you